everybody. This is your girl, Tina. And Zoe. Yeah, yeah. Hey, and we are the devils in the details. We are an exorcist fan podcast, and we're all obsessed with them. We are currently reviewing, rewatching chapter one, episode one of the pilot, Let Me Cry, Come Unto Thee. Just a heads up, this will have spoilers if you haven't seen the full series. Shame on you, go watch it right now. <laughs> but uh, it will have spoilers for like, the whole series, possibly even like second season. So um, just a heads up on that. Quick recap right now of what this episode was about. Um, it was where Angela you know, suspects that there's a dem- demonic presence in her home. She goes and gets the help of Father Tomas. And we also meet all the major characters. We meet Marcus. We meet Bennett. It's just an incredible, powerful first episode. So again, if you haven't watched it, go watch it right now. Um, all right. So ladies, we, let's go ahead and right into it. Our uh, initial reactions when we first watched it versus our rewatch. What are your thoughts? I mean, when I first watched it, I knew from the start I was going to be in love with it. I mean, I love the film. So I was very excited for it. And I was just... I was surprised by just how good like cinematography was, acting was, pacing was, atmosphere was. And I mean, it was really, really just outstanding. And then to rewatch it and you just notice just like how subtle and clever, like the first time I watched it, I was just getting so overexcited all the time. It was just a treat. And to rewatch it. Well, yeah, because you see Father Tomas and you see Marcus yeah. and you're like, oh my God. Who are you? <laughs> yes, me. Um, but like, <laughs> the, like, you know, trying not to stare at the eye candy, it was like, it was noticing all the color palettes and especially on, the, on watching it again, just notice so much more of the world building and all the little overlaps with the movie. And oh, it was, it's just such a magical treat. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. It was just like mind-blowing i saw the first episode when it went live on fox two years ago and i remember being like oh what is this it's kind of spooky you know there's like (laughs) this kind of homage to the exorcist movie which i fell in love with and was also the source of much of my trauma as a 10 year old girl (laughs) but just the just the slow build up everything from the 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 music in the background the characters and i was like oh my gosh is that you know i know this girl she's from beetlejuice like it was just it just drew me in from the very first minute. And um, and again, yes, eye candy. How much? Yeah, we can talk about them, but maybe we can put that on pause <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> what about you, Gaia? What were your, uh, some of your initial reactions? Maybe the first time versus uh, the rewatch? Unlike you, uh, because of my job, I was very unsure about the whole thing at the beginning. The first time I watched it, I was like, I could like it, but... Uh, a sequel is never as good as the original product. So I was like, okay, I will try, but I'm not sure if I'm going to love it. And then after five minutes, more or less, I was totally in love. Uh, and while I rewatched the episode, I already knew I loved the whole series, so I focused on the details, and oh my god, it blew my mind. It totally blew my mind. All the little details I missed at the beginning, and everything came to me all together to give me the the amazing 
final picture of the whole thing and I was like, my God, this is gold. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all just kind of like fell in love. Like many people who first watched this show never yeah. heard about it and they're going, oh my gosh, where have I been this entire time? This show is amazing. So, well, awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I think the the focus right now, what we're going to do is talk a little bit about uh, some key scenes, which was really hard to do in our planning session right now to everybody listening. Um, we were like, yeah, we're only going to focus on like three key scenes. And then it turned into a thousand scenes because every single scene is amazing in the pilot episode. <laughs> so we're doing our best to make sure that these are the critical <laughs> scenes. So um, let's, of course, we've got to talk about the opening sequence uh, where we see, you know, the... Uh, direct homages to the exorcist um you know marcus and his hat it's glorious so um yeah, do you want to talk I, a little I, bit sorry about that opening, the opening scene, scene of this just because i'm such a fan of the original and the iconography like I, I have my hat and i have my exorcist style trench coat from the 70s that was an actual coat that my mother owned and it just so happens that like you know this many years later i'm like oh my goodness i love your fashion that's how an exorcist coat but it was it's the fact that it's the way it's all done in the shadings and the color palettes, all those browns and oranges, the cinematography as like you're watching like this figure emerge and follow this pathway, the dogs barking and obviously dogs barking. is yeah. Yes, that was no, I remember. So what, I'm glad that you're mentioning dogs because we, you know how we watched the yeah. original movie right before this pilot episode in preparation for this. And I was like, oh, dogs, yeah. this is a thing. This is a thing because there's dogs in the yeah. first sequence of the movie. And then there's dogs here. And I'm like, these guys are geniuses. And of course, I'm like, I'm fangirling so hard because it's literally just dogs. <laughs> Tina, there's that down. thing that <laughs> dogs are meant an animal sense evil presences. So he's like, oh, there's definitely something evil going on because these dogs are aggro but they want to be on the attack but they can't physically attack a supernatural being so they might take it out on this figure but at the same time they're too scared to get closer and this figure kind of like reveals himself kind of going don't worry dogs i've got this i'm going to, i'm going to go and sort yeah. out this evil presence that you are freaking out and then bam up comes the lettering that old exorcist font that yes. appears on screen you're like oh my goodness this is the exorcist this is brilliant this is what i remember from the movie mm-hmm. right and can we talk also like the, the way that the lettering comes up it has that same kind of volume yeah. and music behind it that's so jarring that was so typical of like the original movie they clearly were thoughtful and intentional with choosing the sound in this pilot episode because they wanted people to go oh, yeah i remember that like i remember feeling traumatized by them you know (laughs) so kudos to those creators and these writers they they they're clearly horror fans like the rest of us um so what about that homily scene i know that that's another uh big one that we wanted to talk about where we first see tomas um giving his speech to the congregation what were our thoughts on that one uh i like that scene very much because it gives us the, the measure of uh, who Thomas is at the beginning. At the beginning, Thomas is this uh, normal priest who is struggling with his congregations, who is struggling with money, with the repairs needed from, for his church, who is dealing with very normal things, with daily things, and in the same time, like St. Peter, he is dealing with his own doubts. So he is a normal priest in a normal church dealing with normal problems. And we know, we know that soon enough, mm-hmm. 
I love that you yeah. mentioned doubts. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. He has doubts. Like St. Peter, who at some point doubts God's word when he tells him he can walk on water. Uh, Thomas has doubts about his faith, about his call. We, we can see why he talks about Peter. He's talking about himself too. So I like this. Uh, I like Absolutely. how this uh, gives us a picture of him, of his humanity. He's like every one of us. He's a normal man dealing with normal fears for now. Yeah. And that's, I think, so relatable. Yeah. You know, that's what draws a lot of us in. What draws me in is like, this is this is a man, you know, with flaws and doubts. Um, again, he's also super hot, but but that's like neither here nor there, right? <laughs> it's all kudos to the writers. Um, I think I have an audio clip real quick from that scene. So let me see if I can play that because I'm fancy like that. All right. There we go. Sometimes God gives you a job. And when that happens, you have to draw everything. Just start. Good. So, uh, those, no, it's great. It's a powerful scene. I think the original, I saw that the, it was cut down. The, the, the homily itself was cut down, but, um, I hope they released the extended scene because I bet it's just equally as powerful, if not more powerful than that. Get um, of, um, what about innocence yeah. in it as well? He's young, he's fresh, he's innocent. Yeah. He's, not quite the you know the weathered person that Marcus has come in, but also he's he's also just young and naive about the church itself and like you know the politics that's going to yeah. come into play later between like higher members of the church and their views on exorcism and what a young man in the church means to the community and bringing in more people. So he's he's quite young and naive right at the very beginning. Yeah. I felt. Yeah. And I, I love that. I love it. And I love that there's a little bit of humor too. You know, right when, right before that scene, he's dealing with all the like pressures of, you know, crazy, crazy cat lady who yeah. comes in and wants to be absolved. You know, she's got, <laughs> she, and he's got all these other things on his plate. <laughs> and she's like, please, but it's my cat. And he's like, absolve you of your sins. Get out of my face. I'm trying. So they, they work in these very human, yeah. human characters right off the bat. You just want to know more about them. And kudos yeah. again to that, to that writing team. Um, so what about the, so the next scene we want to really deep dive into are, is, is where Angela is actually commissioning his help because she's, uh, been experiencing things in her household. Um, I think I have a quick clip here where you can kind of hear the terror in her voice. So let me play that. There are things going on in the house, in my house. There are voices inside the walls chilling yeah we've come off from that part where she's in the house hearing noises and you're unaware of like is she the only one hearing these noises like could it just be something normal you've had the setup of the sisters and they've got quite a close bond and one of them's obviously had a really tough time and she's hanging out in her bedroom like are all these pressures just building up on angela and is that why and it just seems like such a normal leap to be like well you're clearly like either depressed or stressed this you're like your daughter's been in an accident she's yeah. shut up in her bedroom your husband has had some kind of also horrific accident that's put him in a really vulnerable state and it's all just like getting on top of angela and yet she's leaped straight straight to no there is a demon in my house it's possessing my daughter yes. and obviously like the first time through watching it mm -hmm. you're like 
how did you get from, you know, from that to there is a demon in my house? What? Wow. Right, right. <laughs> like, there's clearly something like not right with you. And and as a viewer, you know, we know that this is going to be a horror thing. So you want to believe her. But Thomas is obviously like, you're crazy. Like, there's no such thing as demons. They're a metaphor. Yes. And we know, we already know that there is something more. Yeah. And the writer leads us to believe we know what's wrong with the house, with Angela, with her family. But, but, we also uh, are in that state, in that moment of the show in which we want to believe Thomas. We want to believe that it's all stress, that, that there is right. something that can be explained in a normal way until the moment the crowd breaks the window and bleeds all over the Bible. And then oh, we, we can think, and, uh, <laughs> again, we think about the dogs at the beginning, and we know that when the animals begin to get crazy, it means that there is something darker and a lot more dangerous going on. Yeah, I love that they kept that going. Like, even in season two, you know, you get these, like, once the animals yeah. are freaking out, yeah. something is <laughs> up. Like, they... <laughs> <laughs> you see it in the birds, you see it in the dogs, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in season three we see some goldfish freaking <laughs> out. You know, like it's goldfish freak out in series two as well. I mean they were kind of crawling up and dying. Yes. Oh, really? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. I was like a joke, but yeah, they did do that with the fish. And crows and ravens and things are another one of these animals <laughs> that people assume have a relationship with dead and spirits. I think it comes from Back in the day when, you know, had corpses and you had the carrion crows and they would come and peck out the corpses. So people just assumed that crows knew when death was happening and they would go there to yeah. kind of pick it off. So it's become a symbol of, you know, horror and death. And the fact that that scene before is very, like, monitored and mellow. You can feel the fear creeping up in Angela, but it's a very yes. measured scene. And it's got very light subtle scoring and then this violent crash that invades into it and it's just such like a foreshadowing (laughs) of the violent crash that is going to happen in their life when reality is revealed to them yes and i think it's one of the few like jump scares that they've ever like in the whole series there's not a lot of the jump scares it's very much the more subtle psychological stuff but that one that's the one that i was like (laughs) i jumped off of my couch and and then laughed of course because i was like oh i feel like a dummy Well, I jumped yeah. in a crow, but yeah, well, they, they I did think that, that, really that well. the writers are very good in uh, studying all kind of literature about animals related to spirits and uh, different tradition. Because we have the crowds, like Zoe just said, but even the dogs. There is a reason why dogs are used to express the presence of spirits in general. Because uh, uh, before uh, we started to bury the the death, they were left outside. And what happened was that dogs arrived and uh, disrespected the corpse. So dogs are seen in a different culture as... uh, 
filthy animals and impure animals because they used to eat the corpse. Oh, that's so insightful. I never yes, even thought of in, it that uh, way. Gaia. In the beginning of the Iliad, Homer uh, tells us that uh, uh, the corpse were left to the crowds and the dogs. And that was why the gods were so pissed off at both armies. Wow. It's been a while since I read the Iliad, <laughs> so <I'm> <laughs> I didn't actually read the Iliad. But no, I, that, that's... I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the writers yeah. being yeah, well read I'm, and I'm sure understanding they, a bit of the what co- what goes into building yes, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they read a lot. I'm sure they read from the classical literature to everything modern. All right. So we're transitioning now into the dinner scene. This is the one where we see, uh, you know, Thomas sitting at the table. Uh, for the first time, right after he's already talked with Kat and gotten a sense of like what's actually happening in this household. So, what were our thoughts on that whole? I have a whole, I have a ton of stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is like honest, like yeah, go, foreshadowing go, go right here. It, but my dear, you're what, excited what about this one. Go for it. Oh, well, because it's it's, cool. it's okay. it has everything that I love about Thomas's character because, uh, you know, we see Kat's feistiness. She goes right into her dad, like clearly very upset about the whole situation like calling him a vegetable like nothing's going on and she puts her hand you know in his face like that and i remember like growing up if i ever did that i would be <laughs> smacked like <laughs> you do not do that <laughs> you're gonna yeah exactly you're yeah you're dead so um when she does that you see thomas very calmly with poise tell the entire you know that sequence where he talks about his friend who is in the coma and uh, says very calmly at the end that uh, this person could still hear what was being told to them. So, moral of the story, don't put your damn hands in his face again. Whoa. And I was like, snap! <laughs> snap up. Okay, alright, so uh, Thomas has a backbone, which is really cool. I'm, I'm into that. Um, but I also thought it was so cool because on the rewatch, I'm like, oh, this is direct foreshadowing right here because it, as you see in the final episode, when Angela is caught in her own dreamscape world, the reason she's part of the reason she's able to come back is because she hears her family. She's able to, you know, even though she's like trapped away or in a coma like state, she actually can hear them. So I was like, oh my gosh, kudos to the writers. They actually, you know, like they purposefully put this. As another little hint, hint, this is what's going to happen later. It was a good scene for Tomas because, yeah, I wasn't expecting him to behave like that. And I was like, oh, oh, actually, this this guy, you know, does have a backbone. He's got a bit more strength. He's not just naive priest fresh off the boat. He's actually got some strong moral commitment. And it was nice to know that there was more to him. And even in the first episode, they managed to develop his character already. Yeah. Absolutely. I, uh, I like the scene for another reason. Uh, it gives us uh, a proof of uh, Thomas' real character, the strength he can have inside, uh, how morally pure he is. But also, it introduces us to another very classical concept. The mad people, the mentally impaired people in history, are also the ones chosen by God to give his messages. So, at the end, Harry 
is the one who tells Thomas how to find Marcus, because it's God himself choosing the purest one to, to send his message. I like this, uh, I, I really like how much, I really like how much of the classical concepts are inside this show. Things that were common during the Middle Age, for example, uh, are given to us by this show, like something that still can happen. It's, uh, it's beautiful how past and present and different traditions are mixed up to create something so beautiful. What Gaia has said, it makes it so much more understandable now why Henry knew to send Thomas to send Aquinas? Aquinas? I can't pronounce it. Aquinas, Aquinas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because at the time I was like, well, how does he know that Marcus is there? But yeah, Guy's explanation, I'm like, oh, yes, that would be why that message was made able to come through Henry and get to Thomas to send him off to find Marcus, who's been having his own rather terrible time. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I don't know if the writers are very spiritual or religious themselves, but I feel like that scene is very steeped in what I was taught as a Catholic growing up, a good little Catholic girl, of, you know, you really have to listen for God's voice through sometimes the the most unlikely people, you know, and it's not going to be this big clashing, you know, sign above you that says like, go and do this. God works, you know, the, the phrase God works in mysterious ways. And the fact that they're channeling God's voice, or we think it's God's voice, it could be the demons, I don't know. But I would like to assume it's God talking through him and and sending him on this mission, because it's, it's that's how, in, in my view of God, that's how he works in a subtle, kind of um, not bombastic way through people. And he, and he does work through people. We just have to be open. We have to have our ears open for those messages. Um. So I'll get off my little spiritual podium right now. <laughs> but uh, let's let's go ahead and go right into the um, the biggie, the big scene with Thomas and Marcus what? finally meeting. <laughs> oh, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> which which has been like it's like the most gift scene I've ever seen in the entire history of any kind of fandom. It's like <laughs> Marcus being, you know, very forceful and putting Thomas up against the wall. But yeah. again, <laughs> what, what were our thoughts Marcus on that? Scene? Has no idea about personal space or boundaries, and he's like, no. "I must talk to you within three millimeters of our faces touching you. I must be holding you, preferably near a wall, and being like, I have emotions. My eyes will forever be sparkling with these emotions while I talk to you about my joys and my pains and my need to get my side across. But at the same time, I can't give away my tragedy and my my, my desires. Do you do you think Marcus goes with that same intensity? like to the grocery store like do you need anything else he's like where are the apples yeah. like <laughs> yeah, like i really need the apples not because i'm desperate for the apples love but because i love the apples but don't tell the apples this <laughs> these apples are valid they are loved yeah <laughs> like i like to think that but i mean i mean we've just come off the scene where we see that he's lost the boy Two that he was trying to exercise, and 
he's just absolutely broken and we are that that one scene we know that he's he's strong and he's powerful and he's faithful but he's also broken and can fail and also something must have happened in his childhood because you just assume that one of the voices that comes through this boy was his dad who clearly must not have been a nice guy and you're like oh my goodness here is a character that i'm going to totally fall in love with because a he reminds me of john constantine and b he's older (laughs) he's older and he's british and he has trauma and he likes to talk a millimeter from people's faces and i'm just like oh god i'm in love (laughs) did you start hearing the song too (laughs) it was a miracle miracle (laughs) that marcus is and then they meet they're just like this wonderful number comes up about being a miracle and how they were meant to meet each other and i'm like oh i'm gonna get on the nose I think the actual words are like the actual words are like heaven sent an angel or something. It's like yes, this is super. This is definitely a very heterosexual yes, scene totally. right here. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but yeah, the that entire sequence actually in the in the pilot episode, the original script for it, I think I saw, and this is crazy. Like he had a gun. I think he pulled out a gun on Tomas and was like who are you he was supposed to be really aggressive but I'm glad they kind of chose to rewrite that and dial it back a little bit because I get that Marcus is like this wild card like shooting gun of the church but I don't want him waving a gun in his boyfriend's (laughs) face or future boyfriend (laughs) I totally agree I totally agree and and the the gun scene is a lot better used against Bennett I mean I mean Bennett yes Bennett, yes, absolutely agree. Bennett is Why do you the think one that? who goes looking for him. He is the one who tries to stop Marcus from doing his job. And he is the one who is threatening Marcus for whatever reason. He is also the one who gives us a little bit more details about what's happening in uh um, in Rome. The church is not going to forgive Marcus. Why? Why? Yes. Why? Why? What is he doing wrong? Or is he wrong because he is simply doing his job? So we already have doubts about the Vatican, about what's happening in Rome. It, it uses an interesting thing that me as a non-religious person, I sometimes have issues with the church because I'm like, faith should be beautiful and should be worshipped, but you don't need to go into an expensive house and do all these things to have faith and to believe in a God. And so I connected very much with Marcus because he was like, okay, the church won't be telling me no, but actually my God is telling me yes. So who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow the church? And I like that they kind of separated that out for him. Yeah, I love the the it, the quote he says to Bennett. He says, because Bennett says that, you know, the Rome will not forgive this. And, and Marcus says, it's not Rome or it's not the church's forgiveness that I seek. So we already know that Marcus did something for which he needs forgiveness from God. But what? We don't know what. We know that something happened in Haiti. Is because of that, that he needs to be forgiven mm-hmm. by God? Now, right, right. They, they, they keep dangling yeah. that. Don't tell us. And yeah. that's the greatness of the show. That's the we greatness of the show. We don't know. We have all these small little pieces, but we can't create the whole picture yet. 
Exactly. Yeah, and that's why exactly. I think it's so brilliant. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. we keep coming back from the next like, episode and yeah. the next and the next because we want to know. Right. Put the pieces together for us because like I, I'm still have, exactly. I have a thousand questions. That's exactly how I felt. Um, Gaia, remember you used like a really, really fancy word that I don't understand yeah. about these characters, okay. like Marcus and Thomas. Um, what was that again? I used <laughs> the, the expression in medias res. It's, uh, it's Latin, of course, and uh, it means uh, uh, in the middle. To start something in medias res, well, it means to start to say something from the middle, not from the beginning. Because in truth, it's the middle, the point we want to reach. It's yes. the middle, the point that holds the most important information. Their story. So wait, so like Marcus and Thomas are, what do you mean by like they start in the middle? Because it's a fascinating concept and I think, you know, it's just hard for me to understand what that means for, uh, for TV and film. To start something in medias res, it means that they are in the middle of something. They are in the middle of their lives right now. They are in the middle of two different crises. Thomas is having a crisis of faith. He doesn't know if he believes in God. He doesn't know if he wants to be a priest. Marcus is having a faith, a crisis of humanity because he just found out he can fail. He just found out what it means to lose someone for the first time. So they are stuck in these two different moments and they don't know how to free themselves. They don't know how to keep going on. Meeting can be their salvation or their doom. And uh, uh, historically speaking, uh, only things that really are important enough to be told, start in medias res. That means that for the writers, it's very important for us to know their story. Yeah, yeah, and you can tell that they yes. really love these yes. characters. They wanted to put them in these stressful yeah. moments so that way they could, you know, they break them so they can build them back up again, maybe. It's um, yeah. heartbreaking to watch. Um, well, cool. Did, did we want to go ahead and go right into the uh the ending scene with uh gabriel i mean that's such a powerful piece right there too where we actually see you know through the vision of of when gabriel the little boy actually yeah turns his head i thought they were gonna go full exorcist and go all the way around but <laughs> they were like no let's just go halfway and yeah. you see what's that. interesting is they've updated the mythology for that because obviously the head spinning was a very famous part of the original movie. But in this, the head spinning is like the final conclusion. Like if the head goes all the way around, that's the demon winning because the person possessed will die. Yes. So it's and, it, and they made it so much more brutal in the fact mm -hmm. that it's actually like no, this is this is the final moment. This kid is going to break its own neck. Yeah, and you've lost the battle by the time the head spin occurs. Yeah, it was it was. It's so disgusting. I I love that they were just so brutal with it, and how they got away with actually showing that on yeah. big network television. I was was so impressed. You know, you see that, oh, that you even hear the better. crack, and and then the juxt yeah, the juxtaposition of that really terrifying scene, and, and Tomas is watching the whole thing, and then it becomes this really tender moment where Marcus is just you know cradling him, and uh, 
and you can see the the sadness. It almost reminded me of the famous work. I think it's Michelangelo, where yeah. you know Mary is holding it's, uh, uh, Jesus. It's called the in, uh, I, What is the name of it? Um, do you know the name of it, Kaya? Yeah, La Pieta. Yes, and and yes, and it's just I don't know if they intentionally wanted that to you know come up in the viewer's brain but like when he's holding gabriel like that i my heart breaks and i'm you know and i'm automatically thinking of this other religious moment big moment in in catholic history um but it was just it was so yes. powerful I yeah love it. it's, it's just it just shows how much that um marcus loves just like you, can, you get a sense that this is a very passionate broken flawed maybe but he just wants to save innocent lives and he will pretty much tear his own soul apart to try and save another innocent life. And just seeing that fractures in him. Yeah. It's beautiful. And heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, absolutely. Um, I think in that scene, we are shown Marcus' humanity. For the first time, we see the man behind the exorcist. For the first time, we see his emotions, his feelings, and... I read this scene not like uh, uh, the devil winning the battle because uh, he kills Gabriel, but I read it as uh, they think they have won because they finally broke Marcus. It was never about Gabriel. It was never about his soul. It was always about breaking Marcus. Yes. They, uh, he even knows his name. He's like the, is it the bishop? The what does he call him? The Baptist. Yeah. Like, is the Baptist going to come back? Like, yeah. why? Is, like, how creepy was that to use what is a famous biblical figure, you know, John the yes. Baptist, to name this demon and just this demon that really wants to break Marcus. And that's like, the whole plan. All right. So we're talking about Casey and the rat oh, and the attic. That's literally the label that yeah. I have in my notes. Yeah, I've it written down here. Rats in the attic. And also going in the movie. Because obviously in the movie, there are rats in the attic. In the movie. Yes. There's so many rats. They were, I, I think they purposely chose the rat because it's like yeah. a part of the movie too. That's why I love it. I was like, yay, you guys love the oh, movie too. They love the movie so, so much. There's so many audience. more little bits in the movie that were directly in the first episode to make sure you got the feel that it was the same world and it was related and the mythology and the canon was all set up. But it was just like that scene. A, that scene is amazingly filmed. Like they do the lighting and the shading yes. and the visual effects. You go in with all the shadows and just like in the movie and then you get your fake like scare and then you see this rat running along and then it's just kind of suspended and then getting squished and you're like what is going on and then it's the way that Casey kind of floats into it as if she's like a puppet on a stream just going well, whoop a look oh whoop look and I was like no <laughs> look I'm noping out now because I've not seen anything like that in Western and American cinema. It's it's a technique they use a lot in Japanese cinema, where they film people moving yes. in reverse and then play it forward to the movies. So they're all looking like they're going this, but somehow coming forward. And also the long hair, and they use a lot of contortionists in um, Japanese horrors to get those fake crawling round movements. And it's just it gives me so much sense of horror. It just harks back to me watching the original Japanese <laughs> Ring film for the first time, and when Sadako came out the TV, and I was like, "Nope, 
nope. <laughs> and then I was sitting there watching the attic going, holy moly, that is everything I'm scared of. That is all non-head, gun in dressing gown, moving in a way a body shouldn't move. And it's just the way he kind of float, collapses, like she's got no bones, and then all See, the bones. it is. Right. It, it's like, yeah, I didn't think yeah. of it, like, puppet on a string. Like, she's just, it's just so unnatural is, and creepy crawly. It is a puppet on a string. So it makes sense that her initial possession is her being like a puppet. <gasps> oh, my God, I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. That she herself yeah. is a pu- Oh, mind blown. Okay. My mind is actually yep. blown right now. Um. But can we talk about, like, <laughs> how, like, afterwards she's, Casey's just like, oh, hey. <laughs> hey yeah. mom what's up just a girl here filling out and we're like wait no yeah, like I've got, here, like, I've got written down is staring ass shit but juxtaposition she's normal now and it's like it goes yeah. like, oh Thomas no, killed a rat yeah there's gonna be more yeah. he's gonna kill a rat oh dear this is not good <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like Thomas's face is glorious. He's literally just like yeah. WTF. What has just happened? <laughs> I don't think I like this anymore. Yeah, but then at that point, I was going, "Is she in on it? Does she realize yeah. that she's possessed?" And we yeah. realized that we got it all wrong because we thought yes. it was Cat, and we realized, "Oh wait, it's not Cat. Right. It's Casey." How is it Casey? Why is it Casey? Yeah. That is so right. good. <laughs> it's like the miserable, but- depressed girl that sits in her bedroom, looks a bit more edgy, sits with the yeah. curtains like drawn, is not the possessed one. It's the happy yeah. one that's been going out for ice cream and having a lovely time. Yeah, indeed. Like, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is so the like, true to form. This out the window. series is just twist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Twist, like how many record scratches do you think they would like imagine? Like, <laughs> twist here. I feel like yeah. it's yeah. every single. That, I mean, yeah, that was so just like didn't see that one coming. <laughs> I'd totally been sold by being cat. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> well, that concludes our entire like deep dive sequence. Yeah. Uh, Although the one session is the fact that of joy is when the, the the episode is just ending and up come the tubular bells music and you're sitting there going yeah. yeah. Yeah, original oh, score, and I just sit there yes. attempting to hum along to it, realizing I've got no musical talent. And I'm just going dum 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 dum, and it sounds nothing like it. But because he did, I was about to say that was an amazing, amazing rendition of Tubular Bells. Zoe, uh, hats off to you again for your multi talents. <laughs> But yes, absolutely. Tubular bells. The fact that they splurged on that because you know that's not cheap no. to actually put that music into it. But but that was the perfect time to do it. Like just hey, we get it. Horror fans too. Here's the music. This, yeah. is, this is such an iconic. Yeah, your heart sound. rate is going. You've been you've You're been welcome. unnerved. You've been intrigued. You're totally unsettled. And then obviously yeah. Then the music starts playing, and then you're sitting there kind of going, oh, oh, I'm not comfortable now. Oh, it's time for a cup of tea. Well, let's go right into it. So we've got... Can, the- can we talk yeah, about the parallel between uh, Thomas leaving the race house knowing there is really something wrong with, with that family and Marcus finally leaving Santa Pinas knowing that his help will be needed very soon because the same enemy he always faced is back those yeah 
Yeah. Those two are... The fact that they both leave ready for aware war. that they've now got a mission. Yeah. They are warriors ready for war. They are soldiers. One of them is a season at one. One of them knows what's going to happen. The other is the new one who will be probably broken by reality. And uh, they are facing the same enemy for the first time. Absolutely. The, the, they're, they're, they're getting prepared yeah. for war. I love that you're yeah. using the words warrior, soldiers, because that's really how I see them as characters. Yeah. You know, they aren't these gentle little uh, children. They're they're ready to fight. And I love that yeah. feeling of like, here's <laughs> shit's about to go down. There's going to be a yeah, battle, y'all. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right, right. And I love how even in, like, season two, they look more warrior-like. Yeah. Like, they purposefully, like, yeah. fitted them up. Like, Tomas has a beard. But <laughs> it's just absolutely very cool. All right, so shall we transition to the writer's room, our segment on the things that uh, stuck out to us that, from a writer's perspective and, and Zoe as a student of film as well. So y'all both have these great perspectives. I'd love to hear, you know. Oh, and we get to tr- we get to also talk about dust, which is really important. <laughs> I feel like this, this obsession of dust is going to come back and haunt me. But in my notes of this episode, there's four or five <laughs> scenes where they focus on dust. And... It was, you know, it was it, just girl. like, I kept writing notes on it. It was just basically, there was this one same scene that had like dust swirling around a curtain. And then there's like Angela when she goes downstairs to like find Tomas flipping the switch and just focuses on the dust. You just see it all beautifully twirling. And then like Tomas in his dreams, he sees this dust and it's all twirling to the point where like, you know, Casey's face is coming out of the dust. And they just had these interjecting, yeah. quiet, still moments where this shot of this like blacky blue curtain with some swirling dust was in front of it, and then you would just kind of see dust moving about in certain scenes. And I started noticing it early on in the fact that like the color palettes of the episodes, like anything set with Marcus in like Mexico, with all the browns and the oranges and all the colors of like vibrant like decay, while all the scenes with Angela. And then when she went to talk to Tomas about there's a demon in my house, were all these like really grey palette tones and it's and the dust is grey and I just saw it as like, okay, before things totally rot and decay, first you get dust because things are left long enough that, you know, things age and you get all that kind of dusty debris. And same yeah. like when demonic possession happens, the body right. starts to rot. But the thing is, it's so early on the day, the rot hasn't settled in yet. So it's set in. It's just time. Uh-huh. It's building up. It's the first stage of like death and decay is, is dust. You know, so goes on and the dust becomes more and more obvious to the point where, you know, girls faces are appearing out of the dust. And then he wakes up going, oh, my goodness, someone's possessed. And I'm like, yes, the dust did it. Like, <laughs> Can I just talk about how entertaining it is for me <laughs> to see the pure passion and joy on your face to finally talk about your beloved dust? It's, just, it's so obvious. I, you rewatch that episode and you'll notice how much they focus on the dust. Like, it probably was very intentional. I'm not laughing at you. I'm more just I'm sorry, like. You can see me on the video away. acting out my dust scene. <laughs> it just, it's just I felt it was something they put in there intentionally to show you decaying and aging and unsettling and you know what was to come 
No, I get no. I I believe it was intentional. Like they, these people know what they're doing. It's not just like they randomly shot dust sequences just because they needed yeah, some B roll or something to take up time. It is. I think everything that they do, and that's what I love about this show, is that it feels so purposeful, and there's an intent behind it. There's there's a real kind of like everything, even the little props yeah. in the background. Like you know, somebody chose those books. Like I think this is gonna add to the story, and they're just like. <laughs> Great, you go for it, Cindy, in turn. Put that prop in the background, because they're all so, just like... Yeah, like, a thing that from, like... The, the things they put in the background, and you kind of, like, there's a bit of a scene where they're just driving around, and you see some kids jumping on top of a car, which obviously was an opening scene of yeah. the movie. Yeah. From the movie! Yes, exactly! Like, they, they, they are not... They're not messing around! Like, they really wanted to, like, do us proud. They wanted the fans to be like, holy shit, yeah. they're one of us! And I feel and like I everything was done to show us decay in all its forms, because we know that the possession is going to decay right. this, like, girl's body and mind. So you had the decay of the church and how it needs all that work. You had the decay of the city... Oh, wow. And how it's obviously a desolate city, a poor city, you've got burnt out cars, you've got like hobos like on the street, like coming towards the church, and then this beacon of light in Tomas that's meant to bring back light and rejuvenate the church. But he's also got to rejuvenate this family, he's got to rejuvenate his faith, he's got to rejuvenate Marcus's faith, the community, and it all starts with dust. <laughs> scene where he was holding Lysol at one point and he was like spraying and and, and, and wiping down. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> yeah. talking out my butt. Like that didn't Everything, happen. But. <laughs> like, to the city, to the church, to the community, to the girl's body, to her mind is about decay. That's brilliant. No, I love it. I'm glad that we spent this amount of time on this dust because it really it is it is pretty pretty cool that you caught that. I think that's awesome. Gaia, I know you had also some uh, yeah. perspective to add to uh, this segment of the yeah. writer's room, particularly about Marcus's drawings. That was fascinating. Can you elaborate uh, a little bit about, thought, about that? Uh, while watching and re-watching the episode, why uh, we were shown so many of his drawings. And I realized in, uh, in history, in the history of the beginning of the Catholic Church, every, almost everyone between the common people couldn't read or write. So uh, there was the need to show people God's words. And how can you show something better than in pictures? That's why he draws so much, because he is simply translating God's words. That's, that's why I realized Oh God, that's why, because it is translating God's words for us. Absolutely. And again, going back to that message of God speaking through people, and it's not going to be this loud, jarring message written across the sky. And he can speak through artists' exactly. hands. And Marcus definitely, I think, is channeling exactly. a bit of that divine. When we think about God speaking to us, we always think about something glorious and glamorous. No, no. God will always talk to normal people, through normal people, in a way everyone can understand. Well, our next topic is fun facts <laughs> and Easter eggs, and I am so excited <laughs> for this portion because I went on the internet and I was just like, I need to know everything about how they made this episode. So, <laughs> about the Easter eggs. So, 
I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, Jeremy Slater said in an interview that he actually went and got permission from William Blatty to do this this show before before yeah. The, yeah. the writer of the Exorcist book. So, um, so he actually met with him, and I was like, "That's amazing!" Like he actually had that kind of courtesy to go and and speak with the creator himself. The thing is, what he didn't tell Blatty was that because Blatty was like, "Okay, it's like a reimagining with the new universe." He's like, "Yeah, yeah." But he didn't actually tell him it was a direct sequel, that it was actually Regan. So that was kind of like, oh my gosh. I, and I think because he just didn't give away the twist. So it's funny that like, he didn't even tell <laughs> the creator himself like what he was thinking for this twist. <laughs> I just thought that was that was hilarious. And then, um, I know we've talked about this already, but can we talk about Alfonso Herrera's mother and her <laughs> deeply Catholic fears? So... One of the other things I found in my my hunt was that apparently Alfonso Herrera, the actor who plays Tomas, uh, his family is very Catholic. You know, it's not a surprise being from a Mexican background. Uh, but that she, for the first season, was so afraid for his soul, sent him like <laughs> like tons of rosaries, like dozens of rosaries to like share with the staff, and then. Before season two started, she sent him holy water, purposefully, not for him, but for Ben Daniels, who plays Marcus, like, because she was worried, worried for him. I was like, that's the cutest thing I've heard. (laughs) A couple of other Easter eggs that, like, stick out to me is that Slater, hey, invested in his writing team. So apparently when they were going through the scripts and going through the writing process, they wanted to find other people from a wide background of different belief. And so when he assembled the team, I was like, this is amazing. He didn't just look for writers at Fox. He wasn't just like, I, I need just some basic people. Give me people. Like they purposely went out, got playwrights, got actors to be in the writing team. Like it's, and I think that's why there's this feeling of diversity within the story itself because the background of the writers themselves are so diverse. They have females, they have, you know, people of different gender identities. And I was like, that's how, yeah. like, how amazing is that to have those like people all in one room together, uh, sharing these ideas. And that's why I think the result is this, this amazing. Yeah. You can really work. tell because it's one of the most diverse shows on TV and yet no one's talking about it from the point of view that it's like, yeah, yeah. There's you know LGBT characters, ethnicities, religion. There's mental health. There's learning right. difficulties and disability, and it's just like, and it's all coming together in this wonderful work. And people aren't kind of going, "Oh my goodness, it's amazing! I've never seen so much representation." And it's like, and it really is something. Um, and the final Easter egg I kind of want to share with you is from the actual. Did y'all catch this when Thomas in this episode yeah. is googling? Oh, the staircase, Father Marcus, Georgetown. Did you? S- yeah, the, the, the news story pops up that says two priests killed, you know, yeah. uh, in Georgetown. There's three murders and I was like, thing, and obviously the murders are Merrin, Burke, yeah. and I can't, yeah, Merrin, Burke, Karras. and Karras are the three people that died. And I, I, I missed it. I didn't know because otherwise I would have put the pieces together like, oh, these, these events actually happened in this story. Like there was a Regan character in this world and they do it so quickly yeah. you know with this little like wink i don't no, i don't know if a lot of people get it that. the first and time around i was like staircase that sounds familiar i wonder if that's the staircase that burke broke his neck on like 
Well, I hadn't quite like, yeah. but like as an afterthought of like, oh yes, exorcists and exorcisms happen in this world, and there's this other case that happened. And he's reading about this other case that went Pete Tong, and but you know it all worked out in the end. But yeah. it's like no, it's directly, it's the same, yeah, the same case, the same relating. Gosh. Okay, the more I talk about it, the more like I fall in love, which I didn't think yeah. I was that was like humanly possible at this point. I'm just obsessed with this show. Um well that concludes the Easter eggs, but uh this final thing is a biggie. I know we talked about this when we were preparing, is the fandom itself, like the Exorcist fandom and just basically applauding, which I think is like the most amazing fandom I've ever been a part of. It's so small, <laughs> yeah. like we are so small, but it's so passionate. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like Everybody has been like the kindest, most supportive people in the entire world, especially in the creation of this. Everyone's like, no. oh, have y'all thought about this? Yeah. Like, this is how you make a pop filter. And like, it was, I was like, it was, it was literally a Tumblr post going, anyone want to do an Exorcist podcast? And then I was contacted and go, come join Discord. And then everyone was like, we will all help you. And I'm like, yay, because I have no tech skills. <laughs> <laughs> I need to give a genius. Yeah, exactly. That's how small it is. Somebody was like in the Discord, which by the way, everybody, if you're listening to this, Get on the Discord app. We have it on our Tumblr pages. You know, it's uh, just or find any one of us would be happy to have you as part of the conversation. We're, again, a small group. There's maybe like 50 of us, but we are all super passionate. So you are invited. Come and be a part of the Discord app. Come and join the Exodus Congregation on Twitter. You know, hashtag Exorcist Congregation. There's a ton of passionate people there, too. Um, in addition to the cast and crew themselves, which are, like, so interactive, I feel like the fact that, like, I've had, I feel like Ben Daniels, like, responded to me directly about a question, a fan question. I was like, what is happening? Why are they so, like, but it's because they're so passionate about it, too. Like, that is amazing. I feel like Sean Crouch is, like, all over social media. He's, like, in the Facebook fan pages. I'm pretty sure Sean Crouch is also probably on the Discord app, probably just talking under some disguise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, join join in the fandom if you're listening to this. And thank you, thank you so much to everybody for everything. I mean, even like our Exorcist cover art was made by a fan. Smeary, you're amazing. Um, so, any last thoughts, final things before? Uh, we no, I'm just today? super excited about doing the next episode. Can't wait. Thanks, <laughs> me. Yes, we do. Yeah. same here well thank you so much everybody for listening support the show hashtag renew the exorcist do everything you can we need more of you uh, join join the family it is a family and uh, yeah. we'd you. love to hear your thoughts and your feedback yeah peace out peace and love bye, bye. Oh, yeah. we did it guys Woo! <laughs>